the US alone is spending billions of dollars fighting terrorism. And if there's a way that terrorists can move money freely, that's that's a big problem. Today on Subject X, we are going to be talking about Bitcoin. My name is Vaughn and joining me as our uh, Bitcoin subject matter expert is uh, Todd. Hello. Now, just just to qualify, neither of us are qualified at all to be talking about this except for some experience. The reason I've got Todd on here talking about this is because he actually has some experience. He has some experience as a Bitcoin miner and as a speculator as well. Yes, yes. Um, We've been, well, we're fairly old hands at Bitcoin now. I think I I was thinking back on this today and wondering, you know, when did we first start talking about Bitcoin? And uh, I, I think it was sometime back in 2012, which was, Still relatively early days. Uh, I remember that it was right before Bitcoin first spiked up to $100 a coin. Uh, That was, you know, everyone was saying, this is the top of the bubble. Everything is going to collapse. This is never going to be worth anything after that. You know, history has shown us that it went up to $1,000 a coin after that. And then it plummeted since then. Um... We've seen some recovery since then, and I think we're about five hundred dollars a coin at the moment. But yeah, that's. Would you reckon it's been a bit more stable lately? Uh look, it's always it's always been a volatile currency. I think it's been more stable as it's been growing more steadily. It's not spiking around as much as it was back when it was heading up towards a thousand dollars a coin. Okay. But. Um, so just for a bit of background about Bitcoin itself, um, I guess we're assuming that everyone knows that it's a digital currency. Um, but can you, just in as basic terms as you can, it's not a basic idea. It's, it's quite a complex idea. No. But if you, could, if you could explain just sort of as basically as you can how it works. Sure. Yeah. Look, it's the, the way that a normal uh, network uh, that does transactions works. Uh, sorry, it's a mistake to even call it a network. The way that a normal transaction service would work, like PayPal, is that you have a centralized body, an authority that uh, validates transactions. So you want to send money to me, you go to PayPal and they process that payment. That's trusted by everyone because PayPal is a trusted uh, transactor. Um Bitcoin is decentralized. There is no central authority who manages and validates transactions to make sure that they're real or valid. So the way that it works is you have a bunch of nodes people are processing for Bitcoin, which we'll get into a bit later. But these nodes um, all have a, a copy of every transaction that has ever been made for Bitcoin. Uh, it's it's like a ledger um, from you uh when you say a node sorry to interrupt when you say a node you're talking about a person with their pc that's a node yeah a pc or you know some kind of mining unit uh something a bit more advanced but essentially yes it's it's easy enough to think of them as individual people with pcs yeah okay so everyone in this network has a copy of every transaction that's ever been um created Uh, That's called the blockchain. Each six minutes or so, there's a all the transactions that have occurred in that six minutes are put together and sent out to everyone in the network. Uh, The network then 
works together to validate whether the transactions in that block are real and valid. And if they are, when that block is completed, that gets added to the blockchain ledger and the process repeats itself again and again and again. So when you're talking about a transaction in this in this block as part of a chain, that's potentially me sending you money. Sure. And so the idea that I've sent you one Bitcoin and we're actually removing money from my ledger and adding it to yours. Yes, yes. And that transaction is recorded. Everyone looks at that and verifies whether it is uh, mathematically. Um, you know, I don't really want to go into the uh, how it works um, in terms of computation because I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's it. That's essentially it. And when we've got a certain number of... Uh, you need 51% of uh, all processing uh, power, basically, to say this uh, is a valid transaction. Okay, so you're saying if 51% of the nodes agree that this is a valid transaction, then it's considered valid. Yes, yes, and it's appended to the blockchain. Okay, and that's a block of many transactions. Yeah, it can be okay. as many as it can be as many as you want, and uh, you know it, it's based off um, processing power. So if there are more transactions, there's more nodes, presumably, and more processing power in the entire system. So it, it compensates for itself there. Okay, so if I sent you a Bitcoin and for some reason that block was considered invalid, that transaction would essentially not have existed. Yeah, they'll be rejected and there, there will be no transaction recorded. Uh, transactions are only finalized and validated once the blockchain is is validated, okay. once the block is validated. And as I understand it, um, the the way to validate a transaction, or at least part of the equation, is verifying that... Um, I'm going to digitally sign my transaction with my private key and you're going to use my public key to verify that I was the person that created that transaction. Yes, yes, that's how I and, understand. And you identify me by my account, a, a long string that represents my identity. Yes. Is that, is that my public key is, is my account ledger name kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I sort of understand it now. We, I know we both, like neither of us understand it fully, but I think that's... Yeah, yeah. Like I Reasonable. think the, the ledger analogy is is the best way to look at it. You've just got a big book somewhere, and every um, time a, a page gets full in that book, it goes out to everyone who has you know anything in the book at all or any interest in the book, and they all look at it and validate it and say yes, this is correct, and then they move on to the next page. Okay. So how how do you mine for a Bitcoin? How do you how do new Bitcoins get assigned to people? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> That's basically. Um, so as part of the validation process, uh, it's basically the, each time a block needs to be validated, you need a key to open the block. This is a very simplified way of putting it, but the person who manages to find that key, uh, gets 25 Bitcoin. I think it is at the moment as a fee for finding that. Um, and that's, uh, happens every block. So, so you're saying they, they, they're essentially trying to find the password to open up this block to read the transactions inside? Yes. And if they guess the correct password, then they get a reward. Yes, yes, more or less. And, you know, it's very... The, the, the reason that it takes so much processing power and uh, consumes so much of um, so, many, so many resources is that, you know, we're talking about quintillions of 
possible combinations that have to be tested. Yeah, that's pretty pretty amazing, actually. So, is there any reason? Do you know? And I don't know if you know the answer to this or not, but the I'm looking at this as brute forcing the password to this block in order to read the transactions inside, which you can then verify. Hmm. Is there any use or any reason to actually do the brute force, or could this just be out there in the open? Do you know what I mean? Like the, the mining process, the processing power that's actually being expended to break into these blocks, hmm. and then you get a reward from breaking in. Is there is, is there any... Um, any work being done, any useful work being done by that brute force process? Does that make sense? Yeah, not of itself. We're not, you know, SETI. We're not curing cancer. Uh, the useful work that is being done is the validation of the transactions in the block. Uh, there's nothing extra being done. Uh, that's its sole purpose. But actually finding that password... Finding essentially finding the password to the block that is the the validation. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, that, so that's something that I didn't understand. All right, that's pretty interesting. And, and we both hope that we're right on this. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're we're as right as uh, a lay, any layman could be, I suppose. Mm. So what um, I know that you have a little bit of experience mining. Can you talk to us about how that went? Yeah. Um, after we uh, first started discussing Bitcoin, you were the one who introduced me to Bitcoin. Um, I started to have a think about it and I did the math, you know, got online and looked at how much it cost to buy the equipment uh, and how much electricity cost. So back then it was still fairly early days. Everyone was processing with high-end uh, graphics cards on PCs. So I thought that I'd give it a try. Uh, I bought a high-end graphics card, which was hard to find. Uh, Bitcoin caused a real shortage of certain makes of graphics cards. They were almost impossible to find for about six months. And it was a graphics card. People are using graphics cards presumably because they're more efficient than a regular CPU at cracking these problems. Yeah, yeah. Look, I don't understand the um, how it works, but it's, it's one of those situations where a CPU is not very efficient in the way that it operates in actually... Um, cracking these these um, passwords, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, look, graphics cards were it. Uh, they could do 10, 20, 30 times more work than a CPU could. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I got this graphics card and put it in, downloaded the uh, blockchain and started mining. Uh, that, that was all going well for about a month. I just, I didn't put this into a high-end PC. I just took my desktop PC and put a new graphics card in. Um, it was all going fine. I got about half a Bitcoin. And then I, I started to think, you know, I could do better. I could do more. So I started to look into overclocking graphics cards. Uh, I managed to up it a little bit, uh, up the uh, megahertz of the card and overclock it. That worked okay, and then I pushed it a little bit further and a little bit further, and it was going fine. Um, and then, you know, we were sitting in the living room, and all of a sudden, all of the lights started to flicker. <laughs> and there was a loud sizzling sound coming from my, my study. So, long story short, that graphics card is no more. <laughs> so, you, so you pushed it? 
You pushed it far, and then you pushed it a little bit further, and then a little bit further still. Yeah. It's the nature of humanity, isn't it? We always have to push the... Push yeah, the a little bit too far. And the, the, and the real issue was, I, I was doing something that other people were doing with this card. I wasn't just making things up. Um, but I did not use a... I used a normal desktop PC. I did not use a uh, high-end um, desktop. It did not have a very big power supply in it. I was really, really, really pushing the limits of what the um, power supply could actually do just by putting that card in. Uh-huh. And once I started overclocking it, the draw on the power was so much that it just died. <laughs> it couldn't handle it. Okay, so so with half a Bitcoin, did you make a profit? No. <laughs> okay. I think I broke even when we got up to $1,000 a coin. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, did you still have it or did you sell it? No, I still have it. It's on the hard drive somewhere. Okay. Uh, it's it's around, but I don't know if I'll ever spend it. Things will have to go up a lot more. <laughs> it's uh, It has some um, sentimental value to you now, does it? It does, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. For a series of bits. So um, I, I also know that after your mining excursion, uh, you did a bit of speculating in the market. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, Bitcoin, it, it's functioning now like a commodity, like any other commodity. Uh, you can trade it online in the same way that you could trade US dollars or gold or uh, anything like that. Um, so I, I thought that I'd look at it on a technical level and look at the charts and see where things are going. Um, after we got to $1,000 a coin, the, the price collapsed and you could see a trend of it going down and down and down and down. Um, I noticed that, you know, th- this trend seemed to be stopping and it seemed to be reversing and going the other way. So I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to buy some Bitcoin here. Uh, I went to eToro, which is, it's a, a, um, Forex and commodity uh, CFD kind of site. Um, you know, there's plenty of them out there, but this this one was different because it offers Bitcoin. It's one of the few um, uh, sites of this type that will let you trade Bitcoin. Um, so, so, so the idea here, though, is you didn't just buy a Bitcoin directly or Bitcoins directly no. to hold. You've actually gone through a third party yeah, to, yeah. To, to buy a fund essentially is it yeah look it's it's a derivative uh i'm not actually buying any bitcoin it's um you know it's just a a hypothetical bitcoin uh you you buy a bitcoin you don't actually own a bitcoin no one has a bitcoin it's just a thing that um exists as a contract independent of uh bitcoin itself um you know, futures contracts for corn or copper or anything like that work in much the same way. There's no, no one is actually sitting there when you buy a ton of corn on the futures market with corn in a silo waiting to be picked up. Right. Okay. It's just a, it's a derivative. So you, you own so many corn or so many Bitcoin in this case yeah. on, on paper. Yeah. And yeah. if the price goes up, then the value of your investment goes up Yeah. and, yeah. and vice versa if it goes down. Yes. Yeah. So how did that so, work? Well, it worked pretty well to start with. You know, things started to go up. I thought, uh, you know, I, I'm Warren Buffett here. I, I'm making a lot of money. 
Oh, well, not a lot of money, but it was going in the right direction. So I thought, okay, okay, let's just, um, well, just uh, put a stop loss in so that we don't lose any money here. We've made a bit of profit, so we'll just see where this goes. So that's a stop loss is if the price goes down to a certain point, you'll, you'll automatically sell so yes. you get your money back or you get a certain amount back. Yes, okay. yes. So, yeah, I, I said the stop loss at where I bought in. So if it did go down, I'd get my original money back. It it went up again a bit and then it came back down and hit my stop loss. Um, so, you know, that's okay. I didn't lose anything. I didn't really make anything. Um, so you were out then? At, at I'm once, out, yeah. Once you hit the stop, stop loss, you're sold out. You're yeah, out yeah. And I thought, yeah. oh, well, maybe, maybe I was wrong about it going back up. You know, it, it has come back down to below where I thought it would go. So that's okay. I'll just call it a day. Um, but since then, you know, Bitcoin has tripled in price again. So, you know, I'm not Warren Buffett. <laughs> but had had you stayed in, had you not had a stop loss, how much would you would you have made uh, in terms of percentage? Uh, in terms of percentage, um, I well, this is another thing. Um, eToro lets you uh, buy on margin, so you can actually leverage the amount of uh, the amount of stuff you can buy. So you might need a ten percent deposit. Uh, on what you want to buy. So say you're buying, you've got $100. You can go out and buy one Bitcoin for $100 or you can buy 10 Bitcoins on eToro on margin. So basically then, you know, if the price doubles, if you own one Bitcoin, that will give you a $100 profit. Whereas if you did it on margin, uh, that will give you $1,000. Um, of course, you know, your, your losses are amplified by the same order of magnitude. Right. So I, I, I bought on margin because I thought this was, you know, this, I thought it was a pretty safe bet. Um, with that margin and how much it's gone up now, I think I probably would have been up about 2,000%. Wow. Wow. So that's, uh, at, le- at least you didn't lose anything, but it kind of, it sucks looking back and, and saying... Wow, I would have had two thousand percent gain. Yeah, yeah, look, you know, and that, that's just the way it goes. Um, I've lost a lot more money than I would have made on things that seemed far less risky than Bitcoin. Yeah, interesting. Um, there, there was a time when we considered buying, like you and I. I remember we considered we we, we got to the point of you know putting things in a shopping cart on a website to 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 buy like a mm. bi- a big mining rig. Yeah, yeah. And then and I think then the difficulty um went up and we decided that it probably wouldn't be profitable. Ye- yeah, so, well it, I thought that I'd got the math wrong. I, I did all the math and we were looking we were actually weren't looking to do Bitcoin, we were looking to do Litecoin, which is a it's it's a clone of Bitcoin, but it's one of the most widely accepted clones. It's it's like the it's like the silver to Bitcoin's gold. Exactly, right? yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I'd done all the math and I thought that it was all going to work out and um, we we were looking to order this stuff and then I redid the numbers and I thought, oh, hang on, this this is not going to pay. Uh, we're not going to make any money doing this. So we cancelled the order. Um, back then, I think Litecoin was trading at about a buck fifty a coin. Uh, so we, did, we, we let it go there and didn't do it. Um, six months later... I looked back in at the price of Litecoin and it had spiked up to $40 a coin. 
<laughs> we, we would have had like multiple thousands of dollars. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I've worked it out. And if we had have actually gone through with it, on taking out the cost of buying the equipment and the electricity to run it, we would have been up about $30,000 each on, on a $2,000 machine yeah and that that kind of it kind of hurts to think about that but at the same time i know what we would have just kept we would let it ride yeah and we would have lost it all anyway yeah yeah because bitcoin crashed down to three bucks or something shortly thereafter or less yeah i think litecoin went down to about a dollar 80 yeah litecoin yeah yeah. it was we we would have lost money and now it's only back up to five dollars anyway um but even still uh it the the you can either mine a cryptocurrency or you can just go out and buy it. Um, throughout the entire history of all these uh, digital currencies, it's, it's, been a, it's been a much better idea instead of investing all this money in mining is just to go and buy the equivalent dollar amount of the actual currency and be done with it. You make more money than you would actually trying to mine these things actively. So if you had if you had got in like this, the mining by the nature of Bitcoin, I understand it gets harder and harder mm. over time. So had you got in as a miner very early on, you could make a lot of money yeah. in, in today's value of, of Bitcoin. But to yes. get into the mining market now, um, you'd need massive computing power to, to actually make any money. Yeah, yeah. But even right back at the very start uh, when Bitcoins were trading for 10 cents each uh you you still had to sink a lot of money into even getting a a a high-end pc that could process these efficiently um you know if you're talking 10 cents a bitcoin or a three thousand dollar pc you could buy a lot of bitcoin for 10 cents each yeah and it probably still would have been a better proposition to actually go out and um just buy bitcoins rather than trying to mine Interesting. So what do you think about the future of Bitcoin then? Are you going to get back into it? Are you going to buy some more? Uh, look, I mean, you, you know, we've I've been wrong at every stage so far with Bitcoin. This whole podcast so far has been a, a long history of my failures. <laughs> but I, I don't think I will get back into Bitcoin. I don't think it's, I think it's fundamentally flawed. I don't think it will um, be a replacement to any kind of uh, national currencies it's not going to stick around. Uh, it's only a matter of time until it's knocked off in one way or another. So, okay, so we'll get into that in a second. Um, but first, why is Bitcoin even a thing? What, what do you think the value of it is? Why do people want to use it as opposed to just trading money? I, I think the reason that people like Bitcoin, there's a lot of reasons. One of it is, is that it's essentially anonymous and unregulated. Anyone can move money anywhere in the world with Bitcoin. Uh, you can't embargo it. You can't block it. It's it's just transactions that happen. Uh, there's no one controlling it. It's not like any other currency where, say, the US can put an embargo on one country and not allow them to trade in dollars um, for in, any reason. Uh, they can't block Bitcoin, it just can't happen. Um, the internet is still open enough that it's impossible. Okay, that's really interesting. So, and the transactions don't actually cost money at the moment, do they? To to actually buy and sell 
to tra- transfer a Bitcoin from one place to another, does that is there any cost associated with that? I think there there is a small transaction fee built into the into the um, algorithm, but it's it's very minor. And you know, you're talking about if you if you're doing a Visa payment, for example, you're paying a two percent fee anyway. Yeah. So so this is less expensive than to actually trade. Yeah. Or to buy. Yes. To 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 transfer money. So who gets that transaction fee then if it's a distributed um, infrastructure? Is there someone actually profiting from you, this thing? You know, that's a good question. Um, I'm not quite sure. It does get distributed to the nodes, though. I'm not sure if it's distributed in a fairly even way. I don't think it is. It, it, or it's the person who um, solves the uh, who finds the key. Okay, so you're not maybe maybe you're not just mining and getting new bitcoins. You might get fractions of other bitcoins as yeah, part yeah. of that. Network. Yeah, and the, mining is only meant to be a temporary thing. The way that the algorithm is set up is, um, I think, around twenty one hundred. There will be no more bitcoins mined. So the only way to make money on the um, network then will be to provide processing power for transactions. Okay. And, and then that will be, you'll make a profit from providing that processing power then. In theory, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. So what, what do you think, why do you think that the whole thing is flawed? Why won't it succeed? Look, I, the, the, the problem with Bitcoin is that if any of, you've got these distributed nodes across the entire planet. If any one person controls more than 51% of those nodes, they can do some really nefarious things to um, uh, harm the transaction process uh, because the whole um, network and the transactions rely on more than 51% of um, nodes um, validating uh, transactions. If you controlled more than 51%, you could write whatever transactions you want and because you... Uh, own the bulk of the network um, you can write you validate it yourself and uh, one of the simplest things that you could do is double spending you can spend the same bitcoins multiple times and then write that into the block and it becomes validated yeah so so what you're saying then is if I put together a network large enough to have 51% or more of the processing power of the entire network I could create a blockchain myself that's essentially a duplicate of or a replacement for the existing chain of transactions and let's say someone transferred a million dollars to someone or a million bitcoins to someone else in the existing chain i made a longer chain and my because of my my 51 percent trust that's going to be the chain that's accepted so i'm actually i could i could say no those bitcoins were transferred to me yes and the whole network will trust this and then i'm a million bitcoins richer and it's going to break the break the value of Bitcoin. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's really quite interesting. So, yeah. but isn't there isn't there far isn't the network far too large for any one nefarious actor to to have a network that large? Well, it, it's interesting. It has already happened several times that one uh, pool of of miners has managed to control more than fifty one percent of the network. Uh, generally, it's only lasted a day or two. Um, the community, because of this weakness, has a vested interest in ensuring that no one does get that much control. So I think there's a bit of self-policing there where if, if, if one 
cool gets too big, they'll break it up so that that can't happen. Um, and, you know, the argument that's, that's been used so far is that it's probably not going to happen because the people doing the mining have a vested interest in ensuring that the, um, the network functions properly. Like, they've got a lot of coins in the game already. If if the um, validity of, of the processing on the node and the processing of transactions is um, called into question, everyone's going to lose a lot of money. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think that that's, that's one concern, but the real concern is something that doesn't seem to have really been considered, at least from what I've seen, is that someone can come in just maliciously and destroy confidence in Bitcoin by getting 51% of the network. Um, there's one thing, you know, stealing Bitcoins by doing duplicate transactions in the block. Uh, it's another thing to just completely destroy any confidence that anyone has in Bitcoin um, as as a currency. Um, you know, there, there's it would take a lot of resources, but uh, potentially someone who has no interest in Bitcoin except destroying it could uh, develop enough processing power that they could come in and just screw with the network so you're you're talking with about someone like a nation state like let's yeah, say let's yeah. say russia decided they didn't like bitcoin and wanted to ruin it yeah they could point all of their infrastructure they, they could raise data centers and take it over yeah yeah, yeah. And i don't like the, the bitcoin uh processing power is huge but I, i've done the math uh this morning i had a bit of a look around on amazon uh, for Bitcoin mining uh, machinery. Um, so at the moment, the network is 1.4 million terahertz a second. Oh, tera, yeah, terahertz a second. Um, that's the amount of processing power that the network has. You can buy a, a what is it called? A supercomputer from a Amazon. Supercomputer, yes, a supercomputer from Amazon. Um, it is an Antminer S7 for $538. That will do 4.7 terahertz a second. If you had 300,000 of those units, you would control approximately 51% of the entire network. So that would cost you $163 million. Now that, that sounds like a lot, but if we're talking about uh, a nation state who's intent on destroying Bitcoin as an idea, that's not that much. I just I did a bit more looking around just to, just to give some comparison. When the US was uh, patrolling a no-fly zone over Libya in 2011, that was costing them between 30 and $100 million a week. So, you know, if you're talking about a state that really has it in their head to destroy Bitcoin, I think it's conceivable that they can. And this is just talking about stuff that you can go out and buy today on Amazon. This is not dealing with any kind of secret supercomputers that anyone's got. It's just current technology and current retail costs. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. Do you think, is there a reason that a, a nation state might want to do that? Uh, look, I think... Um, I think there is. Uh, if Bitcoin got big enough um, and people started using it to evade the tax system, 
that that could be a real problem. Or if, say, terrorist organizations started using Bitcoin in a big way to finance their activities and move funds, that's obviously a big problem. I mean, you know, the, the US alone is spending billions of dollars fighting terrorism. And if there's a way that terrorists can move money freely, that's that's a big problem. So, so that would be um, a bargain to terrorize the terrorists then is just to ruin Bitcoin and be cheap for them. Yeah, if they were using it, I don't know if they are. Um, I'd be surprised if they weren't in some way. It seems it's an anonymous, uh, irreversible transaction system. It seems perfect for that kind of activity. Yeah, amazing. Well, um, this has been really interesting. Um, so I hope you've, uh, you've learned something today or found this uh, topic interesting. And uh, thanks, Todd, for, uh, for taking the time. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Subject X.